morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. You can go ahead and take your Bibles and or your devices and turn or open them to 1 John chapter 1. Little epistle in the back of the Bible, 1 John chapter 1. Stand up and do some calisthenics. We find somebody in here, I'm sure, that uh, can handle that. I won't mention any names. I'll be glad to watch. That's the kind of person I am. I'm a very giving person. For example, you may notice my lovely wife's not here today. Well, I gave her whatever virus I had earlier in the week. I gave it to her. That's the kind of guy I am. I just, unfortunately, this virus involves drainage. I won't go any further, but... It makes my wife really sick as opposed to just makes me sound funny. Most people are used to, but it really it really puts her down. So she's uh she said, You just gotta be cruel, don't you? And I said, Yes, I do. So, my stand up for just a second. Just stand up. You don't want to? Please? How that? Good. I do like it. Is this working? Y'all hear me in the back? All right, good. Now, just turn to the person next to you and say hi. Okay, now you can sit down. You can sit down now. I just want to make sure you were with me. That's it. We'll see you at the picnic. I understand they're having a little issue out there with bed bugs this weekend, huh? But we won't be in the cabin, so don't worry about that. But, uh, there's some guys out there, I think, at Faith Walk this weekend, and it'd be kind of make your weekend fun, wouldn't it? But anyway, a couple of things that I want to mention to you before we get started today. Number one, on a selfish note, if you've signed up and you're taking the precept Bible study that begins September what? Anybody know? 16th. The books are here. They're in the lobby. And what I need you to do is go ahead and pick your book up today or next week. You can pick it up anytime, but pick your book up. Even if you haven't paid for it, go ahead and get it and do lesson one for the first week. So they're available. Pat Brown will be out there. They're available in the lobby after church for that. Uh, the books are here and you can pick it up. And it's a couple of handouts you might need. And do lesson one for the first week. Lesson one, or you could come on Sunday the 13th at Bartlett or Wednesday the 16th here. It'd be the exact same lesson, but do lesson one for that first week. All right. Now, I do want to share something with you prior to getting into the message today because um, I'll be sharing some a little bit over the next few weeks, and I, I did not want to um, do this at the end. I want to do it now, right up front. So if you're visiting with us today, we're going to have you. <laughs> we're going to have you stand up and embarrass you. No, we're not going to do that. 
If you're visiting with us today, please understand I'm sharing this with the Christ Church family. Pardon, let me get another cough drop into my throat. Halls has now offered me an office in their corporate headquarters based on the number of their cough drops I consume in a year. It was just Christmas card. Now it's your office is available whenever you want it. Now, what I'd like to share with you is our fiscal year begins for our church. And again, if you're visiting, I'm just kind of sharing some stuff that, with, with the family. And so you'll know where we are. I don't often stand up and, and you know I don't uh, uh, stand up and berate anyone about their giving. I do not know what any individual gives to Christ Church with the exception of Randy and Mary Lockley. And I only know that because she tells me this is what we're doing. And I have no idea what any individual gives. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. I don't preach on giving very often. As a matter of fact, that's probably to my detriment or negative, your detriment, my negative, because I am called upon God to preach the whole counsel of God Jesus spent more time talking about giving than he did any almost any other subject. And the reason is, or wealth, I'll put it that way, more about wealth. Because if we're not careful, and I will raise my hand, if you're not careful that our wealth, our possessions, our money will become dominant in our lives, will become our God if we're not careful. And I will raise, raise my hand and be the, the first to tell you that that's possible. And you have to be very careful. I'll give you an example. Last night, I went just to pick up some dinner for my sick wife because that's the kind of guy I am. And I hand them my credit card, which is brand new. I got it this week because they had a security issue at the company from which I get it. I went to use it last night, and I'd already used it the day before for gasoline. It was declined. And I said, no, no, it can't be declined. I just used it. I said, do you mind running it again? She ran it again and said, it's declined, you bum. And I didn't think it was fair, but that's what she said. So I immediately thought, because I've had my identity stolen in the past, that it had happened again. And it may have, I don't know. But, I, of course, I contacted them and uh, left her food. They know I paid for it with cash. And, I, and so... I contacted them, and what happened is someone has gotten that number and was buying things in Kennesaw, Georgia, and I've never been to Kennesaw, Georgia. And I said, no, I did not buy that at the Gold Club in Kennesaw, Georgia. I'm, I'm just kidding. So I've never been to Kennesaw, and I said, no, I did not buy that, and I didn't buy that, and I didn't buy that. And then they mentioned, so I, yeah, I did do that. You know, how, you know they, they checked back on recent. So anyway, my first thought was, Someone has stolen my identity again and has taken the little bit of money we've got put aside. They've got it. That's my first thought. And then I got to go home and tell Mary. And then I got to go with Scott Helvey to see if I can spend the night there. So that was my first thought. But anyway, I called, hopefully, it's taken care of. But here's my point and what I'm sharing with you our fiscal year begins September 1st each year. And the hardest part of every year for us financially is September through the first of the year for a lot of reasons. And I understand that. I'm sharing it with you so you will know. I need you as believers. If you're single, you get along with God. If you're married, 
you and your spouse get together and get with the Lord and be honest about where you are. Are you honoring Jesus Christ in your finances? Is he, is it take number one priority? Your walk with Christ, am I giving as the Lord would have me to give? And I'm not talking about putting a number on it, 10% tithe. Bottom line, the, the giving principle in the New Testament is tithe was an Old Testament tax. The giving principle in the Old Testament is God owns it all. And you are to honor him in all your finances. You are to be a giver, both to your church and to others. And it shouldn't be a bill you pay if you've got money left over. Clearly, the Bible teaches that your number one priority with your wealth is to give God the first. Give God the primary, not the leftovers. Again, you're not going to get a letter. You're not going to get anybody. When I was growing up, they'd come to your house. The church I grew up in, they came to your house and wanted to know what you were going to give. They only came to my house one time. My dad answered the door, and they did not come back. My dad didn't attend church. My mom did and promised a lot, but my dad did not, and they only came to our house one time. So nobody's coming to your house. Nobody's going to dun you. No one's going to ask, what are you doing? Between you and the Holy Spirit. And one other thing I'll share, and then I want us to get into 1 John. Because we're Arlington and because we're here, and, and I realize that, that, like this afternoon, we're having a church-wide picnic, and it's both campuses together, and we've got a trip coming up in, in October, both campuses together, and as we go, and we're going down to Destin, and, and we do things, some things together as a church. You'll notice even in the lobby, our band, it's one God, one church, multiple locations, and a lot of what we have to do it right now is Bartlett. There's some that building has been there since 1984, and has been added on to. And there are a lot of things that we have to do just in a physical plant issue there, as well as some other things ministerially that we would like to do. But to be honest, we're one church. We would not be here in Arlington if it were not for the faithfulness of our people in Bartlett. They made it possible for us to be here. Give me an example. How many of you have been at Christ Church? Have come to Christ Church? In the last nine years, you raise your hand. Okay, that's the vast majority in the room. And it was made possible because of the faithfulness of them. And they're part of our body. We have one board of elders. We have one budget. We have one pot of money. And we allocate it as God leads us in leadership. And I'm simply sharing with you the need. It's, we're, it's difficult. Our giving in the last 12 months has declined a significant amount. Part of that is, to be brutally frank, the congregation at, at Bartlett tends to be older. It's getting, very, it's getting younger quickly now that things have changed with the school systems. But over the last few years, it has gotten much older, and many of those people are retiring and as they re- or passing away. And as they retire or and or pass away, how much money do they give? They pass away, they don't give any. And if they're retiring, they give much less in some cases, much less than they were previously. And that's the way it should be. They, it, it is our responsibility, those of us who are working, who earn a wage, to then turn around and honor God with that. And I'm not preaching a sermon today on giving, even though I guess that's what I just did. However, you get two for one today, that's quite a deal. So I'm simply saying, be honest, be real with God. And clearly you can give on Sunday morning, but you also can give online. And I know many of you do. You're already doing your giving online. And 
it should not, let me say one more thing and then we'll get into the word, First John. It's not about you helping us pay the bills. It's about an act of worship. Giving is as much an act of worship as coming together corporately and studying the word of God, as singing to honor Jesus Christ, praying for one another. By me turning around and giving back for the kingdom's work, I'm showing God that it's important to me. What he wants is important. And he made it clear that even the capacity to earn wealth is a gift from him. And I'm to honor him with what he gives me. All right. First John chapter 2. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Lord, we do thank you for all that you've given to us. Specifically at this moment, we thank you for the very fact you give us the capacity to earn wealth. You then tell us to steward it, manage it in a way that honors you. I simply pray, beginning with Randy and Mary Lockley, and for every family represented here, individuals and couples, that we would take it seriously. The commandment to give, the cheerfulness, the willingness, the the sacrifice, the fact it's an act of worship that others might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and then grow in the nurture of the Lord. So, Father, we just pray. I pray that what I've just shared will be taken in a loving spirit, a heart from the Holy Spirit, and you apply it to individual hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 John chapter 1 is actually, I think I may have said 2. 1 John chapter 1. Today we're going to begin to look at the second part of our series, second lesson in our series, Loving the Righteousness We Share. And this whole series, the idea of the fellowship of love, what we share in common, what the word fellowship means, that we're knit together in love. Jesus commanded us, this is my commandment, you love one another as I have loved you. So in the process of us loving each other, and we talked about last week, last couple of weeks, we talked about this life that we share. Now we're going to talk about this righteousness that we share. I think what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks in this lesson, one of the most important principles for Christians to understand. But prior to getting into that, let me share something with you that makes this so important. And I, I, like many of you, probably are fascinated by Donald Trump's hair. If nothing else, you're fascinated by what's going on with the Donald Trumps and the Carly Fiorinas and the Ben Carsons of the world. And so I, I, I watch some of that, and I, and I read, and, and I look at it, and I think about just our nation and the lack of leadership that we have, and if God could raise up. And, I, and, I, and I greatly, I'm not telling you who to vote for in any way, but I greatly admire a man like Ben Carson, just uh, his incredible intellect, his heart, his gentleness. And I was reading an article this week, the reason I bring him up, I was reading an article this week along those lines, talking about outsiders. And it it was really not talking about Trump, although that was the genesis of the article, but he was just talking about outsiders getting involved in presidential politics and that they never pan out. And this guy, his name is, wrote the article, is Paul Waldman, the senior writer at the American Prospect. And he was one of these elitist writers that were talking about very very much uh, a, a, um, uh, one of these people who, I know more than you, I know what's best for you, and I'll tell you what's best for the country. And he was talking about how Carly Fiorina could not make a good president because she couldn't even run Hewlett-Packard and was a miserable failure, has no political experience. And I'm thinking, our current president didn't have a whole lot of political experience when he became president, but that's a different issue. 
And then he mentions Ben Carson. And the reason this caught my eye was the mindset of the culture we live in. Now, Ben Carson's career, he has been what? Anyone know? A neurosurgeon. Would you just stop for a moment and think about what does it take to become a neurosurgeon? I'm lucky to pronounce the word. Do you think the man might have a few smarts if he's a neurosurgeon? Do you think the fact that he's operated on a fetus in the womb is, shows he's a pretty sharp guy? If nothing else, would you think he was an intelligent human being? Probably so. A pediatric neuro, not just a neurosurgeon, but the head of the department at Johns Hopkins. Pretty smart guy. Listen to what Mr. Waldman said about him. The other was a well-known surgeon but has zero political experience and a whole series of lunatic ideas about both politics and the world in general. Among other things, Carson is a young earth creationist who thinks evolution is a myth. Now, you might disagree with Ben Carson's view on creation and origins. You might disagree with that. But to say the dude is a lunatic... That he holds lunatic ideas? Please. That's what our culture has become. That if you don't agree with our elitist ideas, you're a lunatic. No dialogue, no discussion, just you're a lunatic. Now think applicably for us as believers in Jesus Christ, which I think Ben Carson is one of those. How are we viewed by society as a whole? Lunatic, right? Religious fanatic? Nut? You can't have a brain. You can't be a a rational person and believe that. Again, would you not think Ben Carson was a smart guy? Would you not think he thinks things through? By the way, just on the one little note on evolution, this will be your third sermon for the day. Three for one. You could reject creation if you want to. But if you're honest and intelligent and logical and look at the evidence, throw the Bible out if you want to. But the evidence of our universe down to you and a a fetus in the womb screams somebody designed this. It's not a, a total accident that aliens or someone propagated upon us one day. This universe is designed by someone. The evidence proves it. So the biblical account, whether it's right or not, you can decide for yourself. I, I, and many of you clearly believe that it is. It fits the evidence. Now, having understood where we are, last week, back to 1 John, let's start in chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, and then we're going to get into where we are today. That which we have seen and heard, we, plural, declare to you, and you also may have fellowship with us, plural. Truly, our fellowship, plural, is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we ended last week talking about this life that we share together, that we enjoy as believers in Jesus Christ. That it's important that you know that I love you. It's important that you know that we love you. We're not going to agree on every little thing. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a special bond. It's the family of God with the apostles 
That's what he's talking about here. With God the Father, with God the Christ, with God in our midst, the church. We have a relationship with the eternal God of the universe. We have a special kinship with each other. And then we partner together to go out and win our world to Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. And I'm not talking about Christ Church as an organization. Yes, that's why we exist. Excuse me, but that's why we, corporately, the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus, that's why we're here, going to all the world and make learner followers of Jesus Christ. But it's so important that we understand that it begins with us loving each other. The fellowship of caring about one another. So today I want us to look at the love we share in Jesus Christ and the idea of this righteousness. Turn to chapter 5 of 1 John for just a second. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. 512. Very succinct statement, but very important. John writes, verse 5, 512. He who has the Son has life, where we began this series. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, that's pretty succinct, is it not? Pretty straightforward. And it's talking about, yes, eternal life. If I have Jesus Christ, and Peter was sharing some, some, how important some of this is earlier. If I'm sharing Jesus Christ, I, I don't, if I know Jesus Christ as my Savior, if I'm born again, a child of God, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, whatever term you use. What we're going to look at beginning today is that I am righteous in the eyes of God. Not that I'm good at all times, but I've been declared positionally in Christ My standing with God is I am righteous. I have life eternal. I step into the presence of God. I'm allowed into heaven and his paradise forever because I'm in Christ. No other reason. None whatsoever. Because I am in Christ. That's what it means to be righteous. But the other thing it means, 1 John 5, 12, he who has a son has life means that right now, I understand what life's all about. I'm at peace with God. I want to be at peace with other men. I share hope. I have joy. All the things that everyone is looking for, I have in Christ. We have as the body of Christ. We share it with each other, and then hopefully we share it with the world. So here's the picture. We're in relationship with the one true God. Vertical, we talked about last week as we wrapped up. Fellowship, we share it with each other, horizontal. And we want the rest of the world to see it begins with our horizontal relationship with each other, how much we love one another. They're drawn to that, and then we introduce them to the reason we have the special horizontal relationship is because we have a vertical relationship with the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, ergo, we call ourselves Christians, followers of the Christ, Jesus, and we want to share him with you. So, back to chapter 1. So, fellowship is understanding what's available to us. 
Relationship means we know that we're in Christ. And the Bible says, Peter says, we have all things pertaining to life and godliness in Christ. Fellowship is drawing upon those resources and sharing them with each other. That I know love because I know Jesus. I know joy because I know Jesus. I can care about you and be unselfish because Jesus did it for me. I can forgive because I've been forgiven. The resources are available as the Holy Spirit indwells us and we live it out to each other. When John writes this, he's writing during the reign of the emperor Domitian, who was even crueler, if it's possible, than Nero had been. Just a wicked guy persecuting the church. But not only that, the church itself was being persecuted from the outside by Domitian and the Romans, but from the inside by these false teachers, the teachers, the Gnostics that were coming in and poisoning the doctrine in the church and saying there's this higher level you can reach out there that has nothing to do with, you can live any way you want to and sin in any way that you see. And we're going to see throughout 1 John, he's answering the Gnostics who, who basically said it does not matter what you do. You can live any way you want to and commit any heinous acts that you want to with your body because it's totally separate from the spiritual. It does not matter. John's going to be dealing with that throughout his epistle. So they had that in the church, poisoning them. And then the persecution, the tremendous persecution from the outside. And John, who was a tender, loving man, changed by Jesus Christ. He had been a mender of fishing nets when Jesus called him. And now God gives him the call, the mission, to write to my church, not a specific church, to my church, and to mend the family, to help them heal up, help them to understand how special their relationship is in Jesus Christ. What we're going to look at in this particular lesson, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 6, is we're going to look at the enemy of our life together in Jesus Christ, that righteousness that we have been declared and in the fellowship that we share, the enemy of that is sin and sins, plural. We'll talk about both. And we're going to look at the enemy of it, sin, the resulting sins, plural, from the enemy, and then Jesus, who is the conqueror of both. Nine times in these few short verses, nine times sin is mentioned. You're going to see great contrast between the great moral uh, metaphors of light versus darkness. Light versus darkness. Very important metaphorical principle in the Bible. We're going to look at that. And then the idea of living what you say. Walking the walk. Not just talking the talk. John's going to deal with both. That You will see these uh, if clauses. If we say Boom, 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 boom. Yet we do, boom, 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 boom. We are a liar. If we say we are in fellowship with God, yet we live a lifestyle that denies God, we are a liar. Pretty strong language. Because what he's saying is, it's easy to say, I'm a follower of Christ. But your life speaks the truth. Your life speaks volume. Sin inhibits the walk. And there's two types of sin. Interesting, Chad and I are in it. We were just having a conversation about this very thing this morning. You've heard me say it before, but it's really important we understand this as we get through into this. There are two types 
areas, ways of understanding sin. There's passive rebellion against God, and there's active rebellion against God. Many of us can name outward things. If someone's a murderer, we can look at that and say, what? That's probably not good. We can look at what ISIS does, and we can say, that's horrific. Outward, visible rebellion against God. I don't want anything to do with God. I, I, remember the two, the two thieves hanging on the cross next to Jesus? The one who said to Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom? The other guy was saying, you know, if you, if you are God, why don't you do something to save you, yourself and us? And the second guy said, you know, we deserve to be here. Was it clear that they, need, they were supposed to be there? They were criminals. Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. So you've got active rebellion, stuff that everybody can look at and say, that's wrong. Child molestation, all kinds of things. That's wrong. Active rebellion. But then you also have passive rebellion. And maybe people don't ever see where my attitude is selfish. That everything it revolves around me. That I can put on a good face, but inside, I don't care about you. You exist what I can get from you. It's not God's money, it's my money. God didn't work to, God didn't work for this. I did. Outwardly, I could put on a nice mask. That's what the word hypocrite means, wearing a mask. I could look good on the outside, but on the inside, Jesus said, they're just dead men's bones. It's all about me. So you can be actively rebellious against God, or you can be passively rebellious against God. Guess what? They're both rebellion against God. They're both sin. And the, they both will wear you out spiritually. Both will keep you away from God, will keep you hurting. So there's three ways you could deal with your sin, sins that you commit. And by the way, even if it's an attitude, it's a sin, and God knows it. There's three things you can do. You can cover it up. Blame someone else. You can cover it up. You can confess it to God. We're going to deal with that at great length. Agree with God. He already knows. You could cover it up. You could confess it. Or you can conquer it. Get it out of your life. You can do those three things. What most people want to do is the first one. Just kind of cover it up. Let's move on. Don't deal with it. Go see these great six if statements in this little passage. Six statements, six times. Let's begin to look. Chapter 1, verse 5, number 1. This righteousness that we share begins with fellowship with our God. Chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. Here's the message. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Number one, if statement. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk or live daily in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But, second if statement, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's the great contrast he's going to deal with in this first part. Light versus dark. Good Versus evil. Verse 5. Our fellowship with our God, first thing you want you to notice is in the light. This is the message which you've heard from him declare to you that God is light and in him 
is no darkness at all. This is the message. That, he said, let me sum up this for you. The message we, plural, meaning the apostles, we talked about that last week, have heard from, that means from Jesus, and we now declare to you. Please don't miss that historical context. It's extremely important. He's saying that I, the apostle John, who was in the inner circle with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, three Jesus, three closest associates while he was on the planet. I, along with Peter and James and the other apostles and others, we got this message from God himself, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. We got this message from him. And here's the message. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The word darkness here, very important. In Greek, the word darkness here means the consequences or the result of something. And that there's absolutely no flaws or darkness in God. In God, there is no darkness at all. There are none of the consequences that you have from darkness. No death, no guilt, no pain, none of the horrific things that darkness brings. You won't find those in God. God is light. Later in this epistle, we'll see that God is love. God is light. Understand this, this metaphorical picture goes all the way back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created. That means before there was time and out of nothing, God began to create. He creates light. What does light do? Number one, light reveals things. How many of you have ever been in a cave and it, in a, one of those, I was in one of those caves one time where it's, it's, they've got it lit up because we were in there, we were in there with, gosh, 100 teenagers. And then they turned out all the lights. And you can't see this without a flashlight. And you've read or heard people say that if you're in that condition for any period of time, and I forgot what it is, but it's not a very long period of time, but you will go crazy. You will lose your mind if you're in that kind of darkness for any length of time. You, don't, you can't see anything. And what's the one thing you want, you're begging for at that moment in time? Need some light. Even if it's just strike a match. Turn on a flashlight. Do something. Just so I could see, I could get perspective. Light reveals. I could see because there's light. I could see what's right there around me, what's in front of me, because there is such a thing as light. Light reveals. It reveals reality on a spiritual plane. What's life really all about? The light of the Word of God. The light, Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. In John 1, it says he gives light to every man coming into the world. I make life understandable because I am light. And the Bible talks about in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of God, that God dwells in unapproachable light. Remember the story when Moses goes up on the mountain and God gives him the Ten Commandments, he gives him the law, and he comes down off Mount Sinai. What did they say about his face? It glowed because he had been where? In the presence of God. Light. If you're in darkness, the one thing you want is, how do I get out of the light? Jesus said, I am the light. I'm the light of the world. 
when he was talking about us in, in one of his teachings, he said, you are the light of the world, talking about his followers. Put your light where? On a hill so people could do what? See it. Remember when you were kids, he used to sing this little what? And we sing it, maybe was it last week or something? We, we sang this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Why? Because people need the light. They're drawn to the light. Talk about near-death experiences, and that's another whole sermon. We'll get to that another time. But in almost every one of them, when someone talks about a near-death experience, almost always, everyone I've ever read, what's the phrase that's used? They saw what and went where? They were drawn to the light. They were drawn to the light. God knows his metaphors, doesn't he? Maybe that ought to be a great sermon. God is a metaphor. Now, there's too many of those things going around already. God knows what he's talking about. So when he says, I am the light of the world, there's a lot of meaning there. But light not only reveals, it also measures things. What's the great measuring stick in the universe? The sun is how far away from us? How many what? Light years. 180, is it 186,000 miles a second light travels? That's pretty quick. Pretty quick. God says, this is how you measure what's right. What's wrong, straight line, narrow path. You can't determine those things without what? Light to measure something. Light energizes things. If we remove our sun, what happens to our planet? We're not here anymore, are we? Or we're burnt up, one or the other. We have to have light to live. Photosynthesis. You have to have sunlight to exist. Everything needs light to live. It energizes. It produces growth, produces life, light. And it cannot, it will not exist, coexist with darkness. What's the definition, the great definition of darkness is what? Absence of what? Absence of light. It will not coexist with it. And the idea in the Bible is this. Light means holiness. Separate. God is pure. God is true. God is all knowledge. God is where happiness, genuine spiritual happiness, salvation comes from. Everything that is good, the Bible describes as light. Let me share a few verses with you, and then we're going to stop for today. First Timothy chapter 6, the Bible says this. Who alone has immortality, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 4. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. But before that, he was our creator. Nothing exists that Jesus did not create. He is omnipotent God and our personal savior. The light shines out of darkness because he commanded it to. He is the word of God. John chapter 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And the word comprehend 
in the original language means the light did not overcome it. It did not overcome it. It did not win. It did not win. You see, Satan disguises himself, the Bible says. His minions disguise themselves as angels of light. But light reveals truth. Light reveals what is real. The righteousness we share as believers in Jesus Christ means we have come to the light. Years ago, when someone got saved, one of the terms they used is he saw what? Saw the light. He saw the light. He finally realized this is what, what life is all about. This is what it means to be a human being created in the image of God. Why am I here? What's life all about? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Another place he said, I will draw all men unto myself. He's that light that everybody wants. Ultimately, what Jesus offers, even if you reject the Bible, study what he taught. It's what everybody wants. They're drawn to it because it's what human relationships are about. Would you bow your head, heads, please, as we close today? Just take a second. I want us just to think, if you know Jesus as your Savior, and you're born again, you're a Christ follower, you've seen the light, you've become a follower of the light. Here's my challenge to you. Right there alone, just you and God, nobody else. God says, the righteousness you have, I positionally declare you righteous in Jesus Christ. You're my child. Are you following the light or are you just kind of there? Is it your desire to be everything you can be? John the Baptist put it this way. I am not that light. I came to bear witness to that light. I, the idea was I am a lamp. I love that metaphorical picture. If a lamp is sitting next to your bed, until you turn on the light inside the lamp, the lamp is absolutely useless. Randy Lockley is a lamp. Inside me lives the Holy Spirit of God, the light. Am I letting it out? Am I letting it shine? Am I letting people see the light that saved me, that I was drawn to, that will change their lives, the light of the world? Lord, we thank you for Jesus that he's real, that he's alive, that he rose from the dead, that he is the light. We pray, Lord, through our salvation, we would know that it's important for us to share that light with our world. Let it shine. We pray that, Father, for every believer seated here, and for someone here who's not a believer, they would say, I, I see the light. Jesus died for me. Forgive me, Jesus. Save me. I won't let my light shine. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.